Welcome to the Leadership Edge. Today we're going to be talking with Natasha Hawker and this woman is amazing. She's an expert in employment relations, recruitment, performance management, termination and mediation. We're going to get that HR fly on the wall perspective of what goes on in leadership and what do we want from it and what maybe we don't. So let's jump in. Welcome to the Leadership Edge. Searching the corners of modern thought to find the secret spices that make a great, inspirational leader. With your host, Trish Everett. Hello and welcome everybody. I'm here today with Natasha Hawker, who I'm so excited about, which this woman is a complete wealth of knowledge in the HR space and has, I am sure, so much to share with us about leadership today. So welcome. Welcome, Natasha. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. And can you just tell us a little bit about your amazing journey and and tell us a little bit about you? Yeah. Um, so my career actually started in banking and finance, working in dealing rooms, uh, which was quite um, sort of a Wall Street experience um, and quite confronting for an 18-year-old. And I spent a couple of years in that and people kept telling me I'd be good at uh, what it was called at the time was personnel management. And so I eventually started studying part-time and I uh, then made the move and became a recruitment consultant for my sins and I learned how not to run a business. And then uh, a friend actually saw an ad for a professional uh, services firm who was looking for an internal recruiter and I applied for that and luckily uh, got it and spent 12 years working all over the world uh, for a professional services firm, worked my way up into various HR manager roles roles and had a fabulous time and then uh, came back to Australia, newly married, newly pregnant and then decided what am I going to do with uh, what soon became three very young kids very quickly. And so I actually started my own business and uh, that's been a fabulous experience. It's gone on, we've been going five years now. Uh, I've written a book called From High to Fire and Everything in Between. I'm a paid speaker and we consult across Australia and across the globe now in terms of uh, helping small to medium businesses hire better, manage better and if required, exit better. And so I'm all about um, trying to get business owners to grow their businesses faster than ever before through their employees. I think a lot of business owners get these employees and then think they're going to learn by osmosis mm-hmm. and that they're going to do stuff and they don't and they don't understand why they won't do what they want them to do. Oh, wonderful. Ah, So through all of that, I'm sure you've seen lots of leaders and the good, the bad, the ugly. So how do you see leadership? How would you, if I said to you, hey, Natasha, what's leadership? How how would you explain it? I think it's it's interesting. Some of it can be learnt, but some of it is, I believe, innate. Um, mm-hmm. And I think leadership is an evolving, um, not a, 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 an evolving, what we needed from leaders 50 years ago is not what we would need from leaders now. It has mm. definitely changed historically as the workplace has changed. Um, but things that absolutely stand out to me in terms of leadership is that, that leaders this day in this in 2017 need to be authentic. Mm. People want authentic leaders. And that's great news because that means we don't have to be Superman or Superwoman. They actually want us to be real. And they actually want us to show that 
we don't know everything and that, you know, we are reaching out to other people within our team because they're actually experts at that and we're not. But what we're good at doing is, is doing things like creating the vision, being approachable, um, being interested and I think the key one here for me is being transparent you know I think leaders need to be very effective communicators and actually share some of the good the bad and the ugly to use your phrase mm. around what business is going through because if people don't understand that how can they help you achieve the business goals that you're looking to achieve beautiful so it's yeah really this this change into being more authentic as as leaders and and having that vision and being approachable and being transparent it's not sitting up in the top of a glass tower and ruling from above in your big castle. no way no way i think the really key one there is that they need to be able to paint a vision mm-hmm. but then take your team on the journey you know, you need to get them on the bus with you and really feeling like everybody's on that bus and everybody's part of it and everyone will celebrate the wins but also commiserate on the things that don't go so well but look to learn from that. And I think one of the most empowering things you can do from a uh, from a leadership perspective is actually say to your team, you know what, guys, it's actually okay to fail. And it's actually okay to fail a lot because if we don't, we're never going to innovate and we're never going to push ourselves and we're only going to just do average performance where if you want to reach those high levels of performance you've got to push boundaries and you've got to test things yeah yeah and walking around on eggshells feeling like you can't make a mistake isn't a very innovative environment is it no way (laughs) Mm. so I would love to hear like you have got like the inside scoop I'm sure on seeing um what you've seen leaders do really well and what you've seen that's maybe not so great and would you be willing to share a few a few sort of sure. insights that you've seen let's start with the ugly because that's always the most interesting great. anyway great. i remember working um with a very senior manager who unfortunately for his team was also incredibly successful at what he did. So he was somewhat protected. But his behaviour was absolutely appalling. He had an office and a glass door, but he used to shout, berate, swear violently at anyone who was, you know, within his pathway of destruction. And people were literally terrified of him. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the the standards around professionalism were just completely out the door. But, you know, if you think about, you know, did that inspire people to work really hard for him? Did that inspire people to go that extra mile for him um, through, you know, that reign of terror rather than that reign of of working with someone? So I think in terms of behaviour from someone I expected to see much better behaviour from, that's probably the most appalling case. Uh, But I have seen other managers where um, they let things go and this is this is going way back to the early days in my career, but I literally used to work in an office. Uh, this is when sexual harassment probably didn't even have a name for sexual harassment. And uh, when girls used to come in for an interview, the, literally all the boys in the dealing room would hold up a, a piece of paper with a mark out of 10 based on that girl's looks. Mm. Um, and that girl definitely saw it. Mm. And the leaders in that team 
did nothing about it. They let that behavior continue and probably even got involved in it. And so that meant that that pattern of behavior was considered to be okay and um, was how people, you know, bonded or got ahead. So I think that that was a very poor form of how leaders need to lead by example and that if they see those behaviours that are poor, they need to call them out and make sure that they, you know, stomp on those as soon as possible. Yeah, and there's the like, one, a, a, like a, a need for respon- uh, like for responsibility to be, you know, like a leader is the captain of the ship. So if they're letting those behaviours happen or even joining in on them, then, then yeah, like you say, really perpetuating that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so no, they they would be the worst. The only other one would be around the sexual harassment, physical sexual harassment, where a boss took advantage of his position um, by, you know, taking advantage of a, a young girl in the office because he knew he needed a job. And so, you know, I think that sort of behaviour is also abhorrent and and I think a lot of people think that that doesn't happen anymore but it does you know um, I can remember talking to a, a, my team of netball players many years ago and I was surprised to say that out of the 12 players in the netball team I think the statistics were seven or eight of them had had experience of sexual harassment by a senior member of the team uh, in the office so you know th- those numbers haven't changed as much as we are more aware of it now um, it's still it still happens so in terms of leadership around that, like if there is a leader that is using their power over and they're not being responsible and they're not really, you know, making sure everybody in the ship feels safe, what what can people be doing about that? I think we um, the, the big change, and that is a good couple of years back now, is that we now have a framework in which to report it. Mm-hmm. It's not easy, though, to report it, to be the one to call that out. You only have to look at what happened to that reporter, Mel, when she was sexually harassed on TV, you know, mm-hmm. nationwide and was trying to do a professional job and recover from it and how everything suddenly turned into that rather than the fact she was a professional and was trying to do a good job. So I think the thing that I would say to people is we now have frameworks in which to call that out. So talk to someone else in your team. Talk to HR if you have HR. Uh, raise a, a, a either potentially an informal complaint or a formal complaint depending on what you you know, what level of comfort you have with each of those. So, you know, I would encourage you to use the system. You can be in many cases protected and 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 I think, you know, it would be important for people to call it out because we're not going to change things if we don't, you know, make a, make a stand. Mm. And, and then also from the leader perspective, like if someone is a leader of a team that sees that happening, what, what can leaders be doing to really change uh, this? Basically, you need to stop it immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, if you were a leader and you saw somebody in your team, mouth, female, whatever, doing that sort of behavior, you would need to call them into a room mm-hmm. and talk to them about that behavior and say, this is what I saw. What, you know, can you give me your side of it? And, you know, it is grounds for disciplinary action in many in most cases. Uh, so it, it needs to be taken very seriously and it can result legally within Australia with your termination. Mm. If it's found to have happened, and I've got lots of stories about when that's happened, but we won't go into that. <laughs> it's not specifically on leadership, yeah. but it is grounds for termination if it's found to be proven. So um, you do need to call it out and uh, get some help if you need to manage that. 
And like, you know, whether it's around, you know, a, a sexual harassment or other things where, where the team feels safe or not safe, what, what's the effect of a strong leader that's willing to cause, to call that out as opposed to a leader that isn't? Like, how does that affect team morale and Massively. workplace culture? Massively. Uh, so you'll see it happen in organisations where a strong leader who starts to try and change that culture comes in and you'll see people very quickly um, gravitate towards that individual. There will mm. be some that will be resistant. But essentially, if people don't feel safe in the office, if they don't feel protected, the implications for the business, and they are financial, are things like low productivity, low profitability, low levels of engagement, levels of enablement. Uh, people will only do the minimum that's required. It, people tend to have a cover-your-back kind of attitude and a, a, and a fear, you know, mm. that's happening in the workplace. So they're not concentrating on their job. You know, conversely, if you've got a leader that, you know, everyone feels safe either from a workplace health and safety perspective, from a sexual harassment, from it's okay to fail. Um, you get behaviours like, um, you know, going above and beyond. You get behaviours like pushing boundaries. You get innovation. You get continuous improvement. You actually get, get people who will say, you know what, I think that we could be doing this better. Can, can I talk you through how I think we could be doing it better rather than just going on with how business has always been done? And if you start to build that culture, then you can very quickly take on your competitors and actually beat your competitors by having that, that kind of culture in the business rather than that negative culture. Mm, so it is just so much more than that one instance, like the, the ability for a leader to make the safe space to – it, it changes everything, like you know, in Absolutely. terms of um, you know everything that you spoke about: profitability, being able to be productive, being able to innovate, being able to do all of those things. Isn't going to happen if a leader isn't making the safe the space feel safe. And I think you know the classic there is, and we've had it all before. Where, like the example I gave you with the first fellow, where they, where he was deemed to be a great performer, great mm. performer in terms of the business he bought in, but. I would argue the detrimental impact of what he did far outweighed what business he bought in. So my argument would be if you ever had anyone like that, you still get rid of them because I think that the financial implications and potentially health implications in this day and age where you suddenly end up with stress cases uh, would be far greater. And, and, and look, it can be as simple as, look, I don't know whether you realise this or not, but when you behave in this way, these are the implications. I'm happy to work with you. And if he's such a good guy, you might say, look, we've got to do some coaching around leadership or you actually remove him from a direct leadership management role to be to, to focus more on what their skill set is. Because I would argue if you actually delve deeply, they probably don't enjoy managing people. That's why I'm very good at it. People are good at what they enjoy doing. So yes. I would argue that's not a strength of theirs and you should take that aspect of their job away from them mm, mm. so we've got we've we've had a nice look at the ugly here and we got pretty ugly so <laughs> can you can you tell me about some of the great and inspirational leaders that you've seen um over the years and and yeah a little bit about them and what it was that was inspirational about the way that they did leadership 
Yeah, I'm trying to think of specific examples. I would have to say that I don't think there are enough inspirational leaders because I'm actually struggling mm. to think about my personal experiences with them, uh, which means that there weren't enough of them. Right. Um, but I have seen them in the workplace, though I didn't uh, directly report into them. And I think that, you know, my view was what I what I witnessed was that people followed that leader because they liked them. Mm. They followed that leader because that they felt that leader was invested in them personally as yes. an individual, as a whole being, not just a worker bee. Um, I think that was really uh, important. Um, they sh they communicated very effectively. They gave them a vision of what the business needed to do and how their role and their input to that. And they rewarded and recognised the people that worked for them. And literally, quite literally, Trish, people would walk over hot coals for those bosses mm. that did that um, because they felt um you know so inspired to do so i think one of the one of the things that limits us in in great leaders is we have all these wonderful job titles like team manager and people manager and implementation manager and guess what the actual management part of their job if they have a team of let's argue between five and ten is probably between two and two and a half three days a week mm. but guess what we don't actually give them the time to do that they have a technical job that to be done that takes up 4.5 4.7 days of the week so we hamstring them in terms of being able to do that because they can't actually spend the time people management is time consuming it's time yeah. consuming to build rapport it's time consuming to communicate effectively ask for feedback do all of that sort of stuff and we actually don't factor that into their job we call them a manager but we don't actually give them the time to match mm. yeah okay so on one on one hand, you've got you know inspirational leaders who are investing in their team, who are communicating really well, who and I love this point that you know that they have a vision, but they also are sharing with their team members how they fit into that vision, which I just think is such an important point because it's one thing to have a vision, but it's another thing to be able to actually onboard people onto that vision. Mm. Um, and then, you know, that side of, you know, recognition and reward and allowing people to see what what their manager sees is great. But as you say, that's all really time consuming. Like, mm. you know, you can't invest in someone if you don't have time to really get to know how they need to be invested in or that communication or even that part with the vision to have the time. So what's what can managers do if they are in that position where they don't feel that they have the time? I think here's one really powerful question. What's important to you in this job? And if you just asked all of your team that, and it's going to vary greatly between your team because what's important to a single mother with three kids uh, is very different and how she wants to be rewarded and recognised is very different to what's important to so a female who's on the career trajectory and she wants to go all the way to the top. They're very different scenarios and, and, and you know, during the life cycle of your employee, those their motivations will change over time. Mm -hmm. So I think if you could absolutely get to the crux of what's important to that individual and how you can help them achieve that goal or motivate them in that way, then you will find your job as a manager much easier. But I think that piece that we talked on just previously around being very 
uh, clear about what their role is and how they can impact results. But each individual in your team will have a massive lift on productivity and profitability as a result. Mm. So while it can be quite time consuming, just it, it, you can also start to work with the time that you've got to bring those those things in because, you know, I guess that it's easy to go, oh, that takes too much time and I've got to get all this stuff done and, yeah, not start to make the little changes that are going to start to bring that into leadership. Yeah, I think the key here is it takes more time up but it will save you time in the long haul. Mm. Yeah, so I guess it's that, again, going to that long-term view rather than being in these sort of knee-jerk, oh, reactionary, got to get through the day to being able to, to shift that slowly to be able to be. But in the long term, you know, if I delegate, sure, it's going to, you know, take me longer here, but the long t- in the long term, Things are definitely going to change. I heard a fabulous um, thing the other day where they said the difference between a, a hugely successful business and, a, and a, a business that's failing is that a hugely successful business does a little thing, a, a little things consistently all the way along. Mm-hmm. They apply that rigor and that process, and and over. But time, they're not instantly successful. Over time, they're successful. What happens often with businesses that are failing is they lack that consistency and they do the little things mm. that make the biggest difference. Mm. Yes, yeah, so <clears throat> looking for the little things. So in mm. terms of being a great leader, what would be a few little things that would be, you know, like uh, really poignant to do? Mm, I think in. I think a couple of things, and, so, and some of these don't even cost you any money, which is even better. Perfect. It should be news to most people's ears. <laughs> the first and most obvious one is praise. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. People, it is the cheapest, often most effective, most efficient, most timely, most obvious one, and people don't do it. It is as simple as saying, Trish, you asked me that question what that meant for me and what the impact for the business was X. Mm. And you see you see them lift up. You see the smile come on their face. What happens as a result of that is they now know what, what gets you going and they're more likely to repeat that behavior for you. Not only that, everyone else who just heard that feedback that you just got go, oh, okay, I'm going to do what Trish did because I want to I get that feedback too. So absolutely, that's one of those beautiful little things. I think the other thing is that, you need to reward and recognize. So praise is one, but try and, you know, think about if somebody, for example, had been pulling a whole lot of extra hours they didn't need to do and you just walked up and you said, Trish, here's a dinner voucher. Take your significant other for dinner um, on, on us. We're just so amazed at the work you've been doing. We've noticed you've been staying back late. Really wanted to thank you for that. And I know it has an impact on, you know, your family. So here's, here's a, a small way of us saying thank you. That goes a long way. There's a lot of goodwill that's created by a $250 or a $200 voucher, Mm -hmm. really, in the grand scheme of things, uh, in terms of increasing uh, longevity of that employee um, and so on. And I think the other thing there is to acknowledge people. um, So don't steal all the limelight, you know. So as a leader, you need to be saying things like, not I did all this as a result of my team's effort 
and what they did. They did this sort of thing. And maybe even go out and look to get them acknowledged um, more broadly in the industry. So industry awards. If you said, mm. I really think our team's done a fabulous job, I think we're good enough to apply for, you know, the Australian Innovation Awards or whatever it is, um, that can be very powerful for people. Um, and I think that works well. And I think the other one is, and we're getting better in this space, but we need to do better, is diversity. Mm. So if you have a highly diverse team, it has been proven time and time again that you will outperform a less diverse team. And so seeing that as an advantage and not a, a disadvantage, you know, we I always say with my team, um, some is greater than our individual parts. And I have p- people in my team who have 25 and 30 years experience who know way more about HR than I do. But and I'm quite happy to say to them, I don't know this bit. You need to you need to talk to Helen because she's the expert in this area. Mm-hmm. Um, and and having the confidence and the comfort to be able to say, I don't know everything. And you know what? I don't actually have to know everything. I've got my team that are the experts in that area. Mm, yeah, and I, I really love that, um, that it's almost taking it from the I, the leader, to we, the team. Like that's a really different a really different feeling, isn't it? (laughs) Mm, Beautiful. So, yeah, praise, reward and recognise, acknowledgement and acknowledge more broadly and um, embrace diversity. Mm. Beautiful. And all of those can be done with, you know, small, they're not big time things, they're not even big money things. We could all be doing more of that, like, from today onwards. <laughs> exactly. Beautiful. So I'd love to hear about your journey into leadership. Like, you know, you're a leader, you have a beautiful team, and um, I'm sure you do it very well. And I, w- I would just love to hear about that. Yeah. yeah. For me personally, I suppose my my leadership journey started quite young. I was school captain at primary school, school captain at high school. I held uh, house captain positions, you know, in the lead up senior years of school. So, uh, and and when I reflect back on that, I go, well, why did I get those jobs early on? You know, mm. because I I think yes, when you compare what the kids go through these days, that's quite a, a formal process as to how you become school captain. But why did I get that? I think there were two things. One was I was a collaborator and I was fair and I had broad networks across the school. So if you think about the the cool group and the, you know, the the brains um, and, and the sporty people, I had friends across all of those groups. So I think that was part of the reason. Uh, and I was genuinely interested in people. Um, and my leadership journey started there and then when I went into my career obviously I was not a leader no one really starts their career as a leader so I worked my way up to leadership roles but again I don't think I got those leadership roles because people actually leadership it was sort of the level of your um, competency sort of pushes you through which I think is why we don't always end up with the leaders we want to end up with Um, but I eventually got into leadership roles in the professional services firm and one of the most fascinating things I experienced was I went and did a secondment in India. I worked in India for a couple of months and I suddenly was thrust into this team with five people and none of them had ever worked for a woman before. Ooh, so this okay. was their first experience and one of the guys in my team thought it was absolutely hilarious. He thought this was really novel, the fact that he'd actually <laughs> – 
being able to report to a woman. But that really meant that I had to flick my style or flip my style or, uh, you know, to work out how I was going to work with these, uh, with my team that had never had this experience of working with a woman before. What would work, what wouldn't. And I think that was powerful. And now I have a team of 10 uh, across Australia and New Zealand. So mm. my leadership is remote um, because our team work largely from home all, all the place uh, or the client side and so my leadership style has to adjust to that so I have to use technology to make sure that I'm still connecting and connected and communicating effectively with my team as a result of our geographic dispersion mm. um, and so you use all the skills that you develop over time and and look, it's definitely a skill I'm still developing. I don't think anyone has nailed it completely. Um, I think if I th think of people who are inspiring leaders that everyone knows, for me, Richard Branson is an inspiring leader. Mm. I think he leads because people want to hang around him. They want to know him. They want to hang out with him. And uh, and he makes people do things because they just want to be part of what he's doing. They want what he's having. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so that's why he's a very inspiring leader. Mm, so there was so much in that, you know, that the the qualities that you have cultivated and developed in yourself and continued to build and and continue to. And I guess I guess what really blew me away with your story was the the self awareness that you have of yourself and being able to see, well, these are the qualities I have, these are the qualities I still need to learn, oh, now I need to do this remotely, so I, I need to now develop these skills. And, yeah, that, that level of self-awareness and the ability to say, oh, I don't know this and I'm going to I'm going to work on that, I'm going to develop that. Um, yeah, that, that really came through. Mm. I always say to my team, I don't know everything, guys. Mm. I'm quite open about that. Mm. Um, and so I think that gives them permission to challenge me. Yeah. And and I don't know everything. <laughs> and, and it's really important that they do challenge me because then we're going to get a better result. Yes. You know, again, that whole the sum of our parts is better than us as individuals and, and we'll get a better result for ourselves and our clients by taking that approach. And, and I think the key there is giving them permission to change me um, by saying, actually, Natasha, I don't know whether that is the right way of doing that. I go, great, mm -hmm. let's talk about that. Yeah. Beautiful. So, yeah, you're definitely not in a glass castle on the top floor. and <laughs> No way. Fantastic. So we're coming up to the end and I would, I'd love to get like, you know, your last parting parcel of wisdom on leadership. Yeah. Um, I think for me, um, I, I, what I would encourage people to do, I know a lot of your listeners will be inspiring leaders um, and, and also wanting that leadership journey. I would say to seek out mentors so to find people that you think are great leaders and to look to emulate what they do but also to develop a relationship with them because guess what one day they were where you were right now mm. and the ability for them to be able to uh, teach share their wisdom share their experience with you uh, for you to be able to test experiences with them will be so valuable and again it doesn't cost anything mm. Beautiful. Yes. So seek out mentors and build relationships. That's beautiful. And 
gosh, yeah, a powerful way to to continue to grow in leadership. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for all of this wisdom that you've shared with us today and um, and your stories and, well, everything, you know. <laughs> My pleasure. Well, wasn't that just a fantastic show? I have enjoyed this so much. If you would like to know more about Natasha, head over to her website, employeematters.com.au and you can find out more about her. There'll also be a link in the show notes, which you can find at theleadershipedge.com.au. And if you've enjoyed this show, please, if you like listening to us on iTunes, head over, subscribe, even leave a review if you like. Otherwise, at The Leadership Edge, you can sign up to be on the list and I will send you the latest episodes into your inbox. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time as we dive into more of those secret spices that go into making a great and inspiring leader.